This is Revive Chicago. Listen and be changed. We don't have to turn back very far. This morning I'm going to preach to you from 1 Corinthians 15, so just a couple pages over from where I did the offering. And now that you've all sat down, I'm going to have you stand up again. Would you really? <laughs> I've been wanting to do this for a while, and I think it may not be something we do forever, but um, I've just been, it's been on my heart to instill a passion and a, a respect for the Word of God in our church. And one of the ways that we can do that is to stand while the Word is read. And most of the time when I preach, sometimes I skip around a little bit here and there, but one of the things that I usually do is I start off by reading the scripture and then I have, then I explain the scripture. And so at least for the next month or so, we'll, we'll just see how the Lord's leading me. But for a little bit, at least, I want to put this into practice where just every week when I read the word, we're going to stand together in, in respect and honor for the word and just kind of reverence the word. So I'm going to, I'm going to read the passage, and then I'll let you sit down. We're kind of, kind of rival, like some of you have a Catholic background, you're like, this is, I'm rem- remembering, like stand up, sit down, kneel, like I'm remembering. Uh, so I'm having you stand and sit a lot today, but I'd just like to have us all stand as the word is read. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what, I have rec- for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. All right, you can take your seat. Now, there's a lot kind of going on here. And this is, we're getting toward the end of the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And as some of, most of you have read Corinthians, and we're just getting past like what's called the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and then you read chapter 14, and it's talking about prophecy and how prophecy is supposed to be organized in the church. And then now we're getting into uh, 15, and it's talking about the resurrection. And the context of it is the Corinthian church has actually had some believers that have said, we don't believe that there is a future resurrection. And you're like, wait, what? And that's kind of what Paul's doing. Like, he's getting to the end. He's like, how can you say there's no future resurrection? Because if there's no future resurrection, if the dead can't be raised, then our faith is useless because we believe Jesus was raised. So how can you call yourself a Christian and not believe in a future future resurrection when Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, right? Like, if the dead aren't raised, then how did Jesus rise? And if Jesus didn't rise, then what are we believing in, right? So that's kind of the context of what's going on is some of the Corinthian church had started to accept a falsehood, a false narrative that there was no future resurrection. 
And I, I think part of it is their idea of even end times. Like they thought as they were getting saved, they thought Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Like there's resurrections about to happen any day now. And when it didn't happen, they were starting to lose their faith. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Like 2,000 years later, there's still people like, Jesus is coming back any day, any day. And then when he doesn't, by their timeline, their faith is shipwrecked. Right? It's like, that's not what the Bible is teaching. And, and Paul is kind of grounding back. He's pulling them back and he's saying, no, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's the foundation of our faith. There's a future resurrection. Your body will be raised in the future because of what Jesus did. And it's interesting because in their day, like we sometimes act, you know, we're going to talk today a little bit about sharing the gospel. And we sometimes act like it's really difficult in our world to share the good news of Jesus because nobody, like everybody's scientific. They're like, well, we all kind of know the dead aren't raised. So, <laughs> and that's how modern scientific belief is presented. And so it seems very difficult to talk to people about your faith as though it wasn't difficult in Bible times. But it's difficult for different reasons because they didn't have the same scientific mindset that we have today. What they struggled with was the idea of a bodily resurrection. Greek mythology, Roman theology, they believed in possible resurrections, but it was always spirit. The whole point was to be in your spiritual form because that's the highest level of living. That's the highest level of being eternal. And so they believed in a future resurrection, but they did not believe in a future bodily resurrection. And so to go and preach a gospel of Jesus and that he died, he's the, he died, he's the savior of the world, and he rose again, was to confront the prevailing thought process of the day. That the dead are raised in the flesh. That people actually saw Jesus in the flesh. And so when you go back and you go through what, what we just read, and Paul is listing out all of the people who saw Jesus in the flesh, he's challenging the notion of the day. He's confronting their thought processes and saying, not only are the dead raised, but Jesus was raised, and I know people who saw him in the flesh. And the Greeks would have been like, in the flesh? The whole point, in their mind, the whole point is the spiritual resurrection. They wanted to escape their bodies. They wanted to escape the flesh. And Paul is, nope. Your body is planted in the ground, and it is raised imperishable. The dead are raised, and you get a new body. You get new flesh. So, let's go back up to the beginning here. So, chapter 15, verse 1. And remember, he says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And this is, I talked a couple weeks, another passage from Peter in that, that word, that language. I want to remind you. And the way Peter said it is, he says, I want to remind you of something you already know. And sometimes within Christianity, we, get, we want to get, we, we want to pursue the things that we don't know. And we need to be reminded of what we do know. Sometimes we can actually like stray a little bit from the foundational things and we, they lose their importance, they lose their significance. But there is no end to the depth of the understanding this. 
the gospel of Jesus. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Everyone in this room is a believer. Everyone in this room knows the gospel. You've heard the gospel preached. You've heard that Jesus died. You've heard that he died for your sins according to the scriptures, everything that Paul just said. But we need to be reminded of what he did for us. We need that gospel presentation again and again so that we know it inside and out. It becomes part of who we are. And so that we don't stray. There's actually a lot of other ideas in the world today, isn't there? There's a lot of other presentations. There's false gospels. There's other religions. There's science. Trust the science. As if that's something that you can just believe and inherit. It, tells you, it somehow tells you how to live your life. There's all of these underlying narratives that just kind of float in. And you may not even realize how much they have taken hold in your mind. You might not even realize how much they can pull and shift on your idea of the gospel. It's like, okay, I accepted that Jesus died for my sins. Now what? And you want to know the next great thing. You want to know the next great thing. And pretty soon you're over here on Revelation and you've forgotten the foundational truth. You've forgotten the gospel that was preached to you in the beginning. You've strayed a little bit. And so passages like this, sermons like this today, are to remind you and bring us back. This is the foundational truth. This is our belief. The gospel of Jesus. What is that gospel? That's what we're going to discuss today. The gospel, Paul says, the gospel I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So one of the foundational parts of the gospel is you have to receive it. You can hear the gospel preached. You can hear the gospel preached. But until you receive it, it's not yours. It's not part of who you are. You have, to, you have to receive it. You have to take it. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift, but you have to receive it. There's countless churches across America today presenting the gospel of Jesus, presenting salvation as a gift, but not everybody who's hearing it is receiving it. You all are, right? No, <laughs> Hopefully everybody in this room today, like you receive it again, you remind it again of that reception of the gospel. But there are people who have heard the gospel and they did not receive it. You have to receive it. You have to partake of the gift. And on which you have taken your stand. So first you receive the gospel and then it becomes part of your life. And it's something that now you stand on. This is something that you're positioned in. This is the foundation of my life. The gospel of Jesus is the foundation. Everything else that I build in my life is based on this foundation. How I live, how I talk to people, how our marriage functions, how my parenting functions, how I pass through this church. The gospel is the foundation. It's that which I stand, it's the foundation of everything I do. It's got to be our foundation. And by this gospel, you are saved. But it's interesting here. He says, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. 
Now, some of you might have heard the gospel preached in a way that once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you get that punch ticket to heaven, you're, you're just, that's where you're going. That's the new destination. I was on my way to hell, now I'm on my way to heaven. But this is interesting because Paul kind of confronts that, that theology here. He says, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly. This to me doesn't sound like someone who's saying, you've got it made in the shade. You don't have to do anything. Once you receive the gospel, you have to hold firmly to it. That's kind of crazy to me to think that you, you could believe in vain. Wait, what? Something that you believed, something that you confessed, something that you declared three weeks ago can become in vain if you don't hold firmly to it, if you don't stand in it. That means you got saved, but then you let go of that salvation. That's convicting. That means it's something we got to continue to stand on. If it's the foundation of your life, right? If somebody's, if somebody's building a house, you can just imagine that construction site. You drive by and you see that just concrete foundation, the little rebar jump, you know, around all the corners. And then you drive by it again the next week. And there's a house, but the house isn't on the foundation. The house is like 10 feet over. Would that not be really bizarre? If you drive by that, you're going to be like, this is, this is not going to work. That house is not going to stand. That house is not going to last. I don't, in fact, I'm not quite sure how they built that level at all. Right? Like, why did you bother putting the foundation over there if, you're gonna, if you wanted the house here? And everybody that drives by can plainly see that. But what if we did a spiritual drive-by on your life? Are you building on the foundation? Or have you shifted things a little bit? Are you starting to lose that which you're supposed to hold to firmly. Revive Chicago Church, we've got to be a church that holds to this firmly. This, this is who we are. This is our character. This is our nature. This is my salvation. I have to walk in it. I have to stand in it. It has to become part of my life. And Paul goes on, verse 3, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What does that mean? Paul received salvation and his natural inclination was to go pass it on. He wanted to share it. He wanted to give it to somebody else. He wanted to preach it to somebody else. And one of the things that I think is important for the culture of our church, for Revive Chicago, is that you don't just receive what I'm passing on from the pulpit, but you're actually going out into your life and you're preaching it as well. You're speaking it as well. You're telling other people about the salvation that you have. What's the, what's the first important thing? Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And sometimes we overthink the gospel. And you, how do, I, how do I tell someone else? How do I say this perfectly so that they'll get it? It's like, no, just preach what's, what's been said. Like, Paul passed this on. Tag, you're it. Right? Like, why would we overcomplicate it as if I'm going to be able to say it better than Paul? 
Why are you overcomplicating in your head as if you're going to be able to say it better than Paul? Just preach what Paul preached. Just preach what Peter preached. Just preach what Jesus preached. Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. You're like, well, what if they don't, what if they don't receive it? Or what if they don't understand? Or what? And it's like, but that's the gospel. Right? Like, there's going to be more explanation and maybe they need to come into church and fill in some of the blanks. But like, when it comes to the gospel, that's the gospel. Stop overcomplicating it. Everyone in this room, everyone, should be able to tell someone else, Christ died for the sins of many. According to the scriptures. Right? He died for all. You should be able to share that with someone. But we overcomplicate it. And we, we, we don't trust the Holy Spirit to do his work. Right? We're somehow trusting as if our intellect is going to be what convinced them. Oh, I wish I could, I wish I was articulate as Paul. I could say it just right. I wish whatever, whatever TV preacher you listen to, I, I wish I could say it like they say it. Just start saying it. Just start telling other people, Jesus died for your sins. And well, I don't want to sound religious. Guess what? Christianity is a religion. You know, like, don't overthink this too much. Because it's stopping you from passing it on. It's stopping you from sharing the gospel. And the gospel isn't something that's just preached in the pulpit on a Sunday. The gospel is something that you go into all the world and preach the good news. You walk out of here, and like the church I grew up in, maybe we'll do this someday, the church I grew up in had a sign over the door, and it said, you are now entering your mission field. There's people in your life that you can preach the gospel to. And the gospel isn't, hey, come to my church. The gospel is, Jesus died for your sins. That's the good news, right? Once you believe that, now come to my church. <laughs> right? Like you, it's okay to invite people to church, but it's also okay for you to do this yourself. You were commissioned, according to the scriptures, You've been approved. Stop waiting for another approval. You've been approved. If you follow Jesus, if you've been saved and rescued, you have permission to share that salvation with other people. It can't stop with you. It can't die with you. Now, it's great, like, there's some conversations that you might, it might just be better for you to say, you know, come to my church or whatever. Like, but I'm trying to remind us today, as much as I want you to invite people to church, that's not what the Bible says to do. The Bible says to tell people the gospel. That's the foundation on which you stand. You're inviting people to meet Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the truth of his word. And that is how his church is built, right? We are the church. We, we become the church. Like, it's us, the people, not, not these four walls, because hopefully not too much, like, I don't know when or how God's going to do it, but hopefully it's not always these four walls, right? It's wherever we, the church, gather. 
So Paul says, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Why is he saying all of this? Kind of like what I was talking to you about. The Corinthian church was struggling with the idea of a bodily resurrection. They're like, okay, he died. Now we want the spiritual resurrection. We want, we want a spiritual savior. We want a spirit being to worship. And Paul's insisting, no, this is bodily. It was physical. Jesus was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Then he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. It's interesting because I've listened to different people, different really smart people, and they think, they think maybe Peter or somebody like that like hallucinated meeting Jesus. Like somehow they got, you know, on the, in the Garden of Gethsemane there was some shrooms or something. I don't know. <laughs> and Paul here, what I love about the scriptures is it makes it possible to be a hallucination. Like, okay, if maybe if it was just Peter, like one guy saw Jesus bodily raised. Okay, maybe he was hallucinating on a scientific level, right? Or maybe the 12, maybe all 12 like drank the same extra fermented wine or something, right? But this is Peter, the 12, 500 people. Like you don't get a mass hallucination of 500 people in that day. They didn't have pharmaceutical drugs to get a hold of. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't mass hallucinate. And Jesus appeared in bodily form to 500 people. This is the foundation of our faith. And then what I love this, I love that Paul puts this in here and he says, and he also appeared to James. Why James? Who was James? Well, there's a, there's a book of James. But what's important about the fact that he names James specifically is James was the brother of Jesus. So the brother of Jesus saw his brother, a little suspense there, Jesus, Jesus, James saw Jesus, his brother, in bodily form after he saw him crucified. Okay, I don't know about you and how siblings, like everybody's sibling situation is a little bit different, but if I saw my brother alive after I saw him dead, by the most brutal crucifixion, like that's going to be a convincing thing. That's not something I'm going to hallucinate. Right? Like, you're not going to convince your own brother that you're God, unless you're God. I'm kind of trying to push this a little bit. Like, this is a big deal that James, the brother of Jesus, saw Jesus in his physical bodily form after, after his death. And you got to know that that's what convinced him. Because earlier in the Gospels, James didn't believe. Over in Matthew, it says that James and Joseph and the other brother, like, they thought Jesus was crazy. They couldn't believe he was going around preaching what he was preaching. And Paul says, then he appeared to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Some of you are like, I get that. 
I feel abnormal. I feel like I'm the last one to know. I'm the last. But however you feel, however disconnected you might feel at times, that's how other people feel too. Paul says he was the last one, and he, he goes on, verse 9 here. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Can you imagine, like, a lot of people in this room probably struggle with guilt. Shame. You look at your past and you wonder, how can God forgive me? Can you imagine the guilt that must have, like, just tried to crush Paul? Because there's nobody in this room that has sinned so badly as to kill other Christians. Like, that's, that's another level of sin. Like, whatever sin you've committed that I know of, there's no murderers in here. And not only that, but you, like, Paul specifically targeted Christians to kill. Specifically targeted them to persecute. Put them in jail. If anybody's going to have a revelation of being saved by faith and being free of guilt and that it's not by works, it's this guy. If anybody's going to have that mind game, that mental battle with guilt and shame over how unqualified they are, it's this guy. And sometimes you need that reminder in the gospel presentation that the whole point of the gospel is to save you and rescue you. You are disqualified. You were, sorry, you were disqualified. Salvation is what qualifies you. It's the work that Jesus did that qualifies you. It's not what you did or didn't do. It's not your bad past. It's not your bad thoughts. Those can't disqualify you. And Paul has the audacity to write, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. And there's probably some of you in this room, there, there's things in your past that weigh on you heavily and you're thinking like, I, I'm not even sure I deserve to be called a Christian right now. I don't know if I can call myself a believer. I don't, if you knew what I've done. But it's not about what you did. It's about what he did. Right? Salvation is never about what you've done. Salvation is about what he accomplished on the cross. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. You are saved because of what he accomplished. He paid the price. He paid your debt. You're like, but I don't deserve it. That's the point. Somebody laughed. Some of you are still like, I, I feel like either you're struggling with this guilt right now or you're really sleepy, one of the two. <laughs> like this is, this is a big deal. This is the gospel. And Paul says, I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, you are called to be who you are called to be. 
Scripture talks about the fivefold ministry and says that some are called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. You have a calling in the church. You have a function as part of the body. You are who you are. Let God work through you. And it starts with telling other people about Jesus. It starts with telling people he died and was resurrected. That's what I believe. And then let the Holy Spirit do the work. Right? They may not convert right then, but you preach the gospel. Don't overcomplicate this. Don't wait till, well, I have to have a title. Well, I'm not a pastor. You can give yourself whatever excuse you want. Like, why would you wait until you have the title in order to preach the good news? One of the things that I love about um, Pastor Steve, you saw him on the screen, and Pastor Tom, when I was in my, in my ministry school days, is they talked about how title follows function. And too, too often, we try to get the title before we're functioning in our gifting. But long before you ever get the title, you function in your call. And other people start to recognize that gifting, and you end up with the title. <laughs> Does that make sense? Title should follow function. Other people, before I got the title pastor, other people recognized the pastoral gift in me, and I was acting as a pastor before I ever got paid for it. I was acting as a pastor before I ever had the title. I didn't wait for someone to tell me, okay, you get to be pastor now. Now put on this pastor hat and it'll magically start happening. If you have a call, if you're in this room and you have a calling into ministry, maybe teaching, start teaching. Start studying the scriptures so that you know God's word. And maybe someday somebody will recognize you as a teacher. If you have a calling to be a pastor, start shepherding people and comforting people and loving on people. And maybe someday you'll get that title. But if you get... If you get to where you're seeking the title or you're waiting for the title, then you're waiting for permission from somebody else. And God already gave it to you. God said, I saved you. It's a gift. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. I love this line. Because every single one of us in this room has had grace extended to us. This is where the conviction gets heavy, right? How many has it been ineffective? Or not as effective as it could be? Right? If God pours out grace, and you receive that grace, and you do nothing with it, then it's like it's in vain. It's what, like what he talked about just a few moments ago and he said, it's in vain. Your belief, your, belief it, your belief is in vain. That God has poured out his grace and he said, I am qualifying you to preach the gospel. I'm qualifying you to love other people and have compassion. I don't want that grace to be without effect in my life. 
the grace that has been poured out on me, I want to I pass it on. I want to pour it out. I want to let it flow through me. And this is where it gets interesting because most of us think of grace. We hear grace and we think that it's, it's like kind of synonymous with, with uh, mercy and forgiveness. So in our mind, grace is, it, the, here, and here's the line, grace is unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. But grace is a power. Listen to what Paul says when he's talking about grace here. He says that grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What does that mean? He's making it clear that he's, there's hard work to be done. The grace empowered hard work. But it wasn't him that was doing it. He wasn't forcing himself. He was letting that grace flow through him. It was Christ's work, Christ's grace flowing through him to do the work. Grace is a power. That's amazing. Grace is a power to do, so that unmerited favor, that unmerited favor comes and empowers you to be who you couldn't be. If you guys, if you guys had to wait for me to be, to deserve to be pastor, you would still be waiting. I don't deserve to be pastor. Paul didn't deserve to be apostle. You don't deserve to be in your calling. But then grace comes. Grace comes and empowers you. Grace comes and works through you. And so despite the fact that I am a fallen creature, despite the fact that I have sinned, Christ, Christ is working through me. Christ's grace is working through me to bring this message to you today. In spite of my flaws, in spite of my disqualifications, His grace is flowing through me. And that's what it can do for you. Let that grace flow through you to move and help other people and encourage other people. If you don't yet have the words, if you can't, maybe there's somebody in this room, you can't yet say, Christ died for your sins. You just freeze up, lock up. You're like, I don't know if I can say that to somebody. But you know what? Every single one of you can love somebody. You can love somebody. You can let Christ's grace flow through you to love them. And when they know that they are loved, they'll let you speak into their life. When they know that you have compassion on them, and you're not sitting there judging them, you're not sitting there accusing them, as other Christians, that maybe there's other Christians that they've met that were very accusatory, very judgmental, very heavy-handed, and Paul says that's not how we're supposed to be. Christ's grace is supposed to be effectual through us. It's supposed to move through us and empower us to love, empower us to do the work. Friends, there's work to do. There's people for you to witness to. There's people for you to love on and say, Christ died for you. And I feel like I still hear that, that voice that says, well, I don't know how to say that. Yes, you do. Just let his love flow through you. Scripture says, Scripture says that before he left Peter, or uh, before he left 
Jesus told his disciples the Holy Spirit would give them the words. When you get into that conversation, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. To love on that person the way that they need it. And you know what? Let's just say, let's just say you mess it up. And you somehow manage to say Christ didn't die for them. I think, I think they'll still get the picture. If you're truly loving them and truly having compassion, and you mess it up that bad and say the opposite, I'm pretty sure that grace will flow through anyway. You know what I mean? Like, if you, if you overthink it and you accidentally say it, like, maybe it'll be a funny moment. They're like, I've never had a Christian say that to me before. And it alleviates any tension. It's like the worst possible thing that you could say gets said and you realize, I messed up. Like, See, that's why I need Jesus. <laughs> you know? Like, just be obedient. Just follow the cross. We've got to be a church that's telling other people about Jesus. That's passionate about our faith. This is what I stand on. This is who I am. I want, to tell, I want other people to know. I want other people to know. And I don't know all the people you know. And I can't possibly meet all of the people that you will meet this week. But you can tell someone about Jesus. What if you made up your mind right now? Isn't this like a sales technique where you close the deal and like, what if you made up your mind you're going to tell one person about Jesus? <laughs> but like, let's be honest. If you don't think of it in that way, if you don't put any kind of like responsibility, and I'm not saying this week, like some, you got to meet some quota. I'm just saying like you should feel compelled to tell other people about Jesus. You should be excited about what God has done in you. We're not trying to meet some quota in heaven. Jesus isn't up there with a tally mark. He just doesn't want his grace to be without effect. His grace is at work in you. I've had conversations with every single person in this room. And some of us have gone deep and some of us, we're still getting to know each other. But his grace is not without effect. It's working in you. I see him working in you. I see him changing and transforming. I have watched in the last six months, I have watched amazing transformations. And if God can do that in you, what, what's stopping him from doing that in your friend? What's stopping him from doing that in your family member? What's stopping him from doing that in your coworker? Just you speaking the words. Well, the timing's got to be right. The temperature's got to be just right. <laughs> Or just let the Holy Spirit do his thing. And here's the other thing that could happen. Here's the other outcome. They tell you no. <sighs> Terrible. <laughs> right? Like, is that the worst thing that can happen? You get a little rejection? Like, isn't that, like, didn't Jesus promise a little bit of persecution and tribulation? Most of us, the reason our life is so cushy is because we've never told anybody about Jesus. 
Like you've never even put yourself out there to be persecuted. But like, well, my coworkers all know I'm a Christian. Maybe, maybe they don't know what that means. Maybe they've never met the real Jesus. Maybe they've only ever met a fake one. Maybe the idea they have of what Christianity is has been distorted by other friends they have. And you can come and let God's grace work through you and show them a new way, show them a new path. And it starts with being someone bold enough to speak, to declare the gospel, to say Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he was resurrected so that you could have a future resurrection. All of us should be able to articulate our faith. Maybe you got to practice in the mirror. But this, I mean, this little chunk of scriptures that I read you today, it's not that long. It wouldn't take you very long to memorize. This is the gospel, right? You're like, well, don't they have to read Matthew, Mark? They'll get there. Let them get saved first. You know, like sometimes I think we get this overwhelming urge, like we have to clean people up before they come and come and meet Jesus. It's like, pretty sure Jesus does the cleaning. Just let them, just introduce them to Jesus. You don't have to get them to clean it, get cleaned up. You don't have to get them to stop cussing in order to, then I'll tell, I'll, I'll wait till they stop cussing and then I'll tell them about Jesus. Good luck stopping that if you don't have Jesus. Right? Like maybe, maybe they start putting the quarters in the jar or something. Like there's ways to do it, but if they're not motivated to do it, it's not going to change. Like sometimes we, we create these barriers. Like they have to be a certain way. They have to be a certain type of person. They have to seem interested. But how do you know that the hardest heart at your work is the one that might be about to break? The person that's the furthest in your mind, they're the furthest from God. They've always been rude to you. They've always been mean to you. But maybe they need Jesus the most. You got to preach the gospel. You got to tell other people about Jesus. And it's got to be, it's got to be a little bit more than just, hey, come to my church. Like maybe, maybe they will. Maybe that you have that conversation. Maybe they're not ready to accept Jesus right then and maybe they're willing to come to church with you. But you have the Holy Spirit. You get to like feel that out in the moment. Right? Maybe as you're, you finally get up that boldness to share with them and all that comes out is, hey, come to my church. Okay. Then do that. But like you got bold enough to speak. You got bold enough to share. I'm not trying to say it has to be this way. You have to quote these words at them. Because friends, if, if you're sitting there and you're like, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And you're just reading it to them. It's going to come off a certain type of way, right? This guy's a robot. Do they really believe? Do they really believe? Do they really? It's like, I don't know if they even know this. 
like, what do you, memorize it enough that you can say it off the cuff and say it just in a little bit of flowy way. Say it, say it with a smile. Christianity, your faith in Jesus should be making you smile, not frown. Right? Like, if Jesus saved you, you shouldn't look like you were sucking on a lemon. Right? Like, there should be some joy. There should be some life. God's grace shouldn't be without effect. When we get too stern in our religion, we get too stern sometimes. We're like, that's the other thing. When we preach the gospel, I have seen people, I'm talking about it in this way. And then you hear them go preach it. And what do they say? Did you know that you're a lying, stealing cheat on your way to hell? Friends, that's not good news. Right? Like, the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Like, why are you starting with bad news? Start with the good news. They don't even have a mental framework for the bad news. And they're my, like, I've heard people talking to people at the gym, and they just think hell's a party. Like, all the people that are going there are the people they want to hang out with. They just think it's one big, like, rock concert or something. I don't know. Okay, don't start with hellfire and brimstone. That's not the good news. The good news is Jesus came for you. Did you notice that Paul doesn't say a single thing about hell here? And I feel like people in our culture are like ready, like primed and ready. The second you start talking about Jesus, you're like, what, so you think I'm going to hell? And you're like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> what do you say to that? It's like, can we, can we restart this conversation? I know you've heard a lot of stuff. I'm sure you've heard the TV preacher. I'm, heard, I'm sure you saw the down home, the, this Alabama guy preaching hellfire and brimstone about how all the bad people out there and all the all the people who are going to hell, let's start this over and let's have a conversation how the Bible actually talks about it. Maybe you need to pull up the Bible on your phone. Friends, this is, this is a scripture you can go to. If you need to pull up the Bible on your phone, you should have in your mind 1 Corinthians 15. Go there. Mark chapter 1. Find one of the ones that are you're comfortable with it. You're, you can become knowledgeable enough and talk about it with a friend and go to the actual scripture. Mark chapter one, it talks about Jesus preaching the good news that the kingdom of heaven is near. There's nothing about hell. Jesus preached the gospel in Mark chapter one and he doesn't, he doesn't say hell. He doesn't say they're going there. He tells them to repent. He, that means there's something that they need to change. But he doesn't sit there and say, if you don't change, judgment is coming. And I know, I know this is a difficult conversation. I know that I'm asking, I'm asking for you to put yourself out there. But how else is grace going to have an effect? If you don't work hard at this, if you don't put yourself out there, how is grace going to have an effect in your life? If you don't tell someone else about Jesus, 
How are they going to know? And I'm not saying you have to grab, you know, like, Pastor Aaron, can I borrow one of these speakers? And can I go preach at the park? And start, Like, I'm not telling you you have to do that. I'm telling you to start with one. Start with someone. That, there's got to be at least one person in your life that you know that might be a little bit open to the gospel. Pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit. Show me who I can speak to. Show me who I can tell the good news of Jesus Christ to. There's got to be one. And Paul says, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. When you believe in the good news of Jesus, you get access to that grace. And perhaps some of you in this room have gotten used to kind of stopping it up and shutting it down. You've gotten a little too used to, oh, this is uncomfortable. Oh, I don't know how to do this. Oh, what do I say? Wow. All the stuff that goes through your head. I don't deserve to be speaking. I, mean, I, oh, I messed up at work yesterday, so I'm disqualified to tell them about the gospel today. Like whatever's going through your mind that stops you, like don't, don't let it stop you now. Let God's grace flow through you. Stop hindering it. Stop shutting it down. Realize, okay, if anybody's disqualified, it was Paul. Right? He was, Paul was more disqualified than I am. If we're going to create a hierarchy of disqualifications, Paul's like down at the bottom. Right? Or at the top, however this hierarchy works. So whatever things that you've been letting stop you, can't stop you anymore. I really want every single one of us to walk out of this room with just a burning desire to tell someone about Jesus. To tell someone about what he's done in our lives. What has he done for you? How is, how is your life different? Maybe you start there. You know, it's kind of like, have you ever heard the whole cold call thing? Like, maybe you don't start this thing out as a cold call situation. Like, hello, have you heard the good news about Jesus? Like, hi, how are you would be nice. I'm interested in you as a person would be nice. Right? Like, there should be a few things in the conversation before you go straight to the jugular. Right? So maybe, maybe as you're having this conversation with your coworker, with your friend, with somebody that you're meeting, maybe you build up to that spot and you get to know them and you show Christ's love. You demonstrate it before you say it. You're going to have a lot more effect. God's, you're giving that time for grace to have an effect. And it becomes powerful. So would you stand with me today? Jesus. Thank you for this message. Thank you for that grace. 
that is working in our lives. God, let it not be without effect. I want that grace to be immensely impactful through me. I want that grace to be immensely impactful through every single person in this room. Where we see other people. We see them hurting. We see their pain. And we show love. God, it's so easy to fall into judgment. It's interesting, you know, yesterday I went to a baseball game and there's just huge crowd, thousands and thousands of people. And a lot of these people were doing things that I could very easily judge them for. Things I would never do. And I could sit there and think about how righteous I am amongst this sea of evil humanity. Or, I realize all of these people need Jesus. And think about how much he loves for them, despite their sin. Despite the pain. And all the things that they're seeking to try and fill those voids. All the things, all the ways that they try to fill that hurt in their heart. Instead, I start to see them as human. I start to see them as someone that God loves, someone that Jesus died for. It's easy to look at a nice, well-presented person and think, Jesus died for them. But when you look, when you look at humanity, when you walk down the street, when you see people on the sidewalk, just laying there on the ground with their bag of clothes, homeless. When you see people drinking themselves into oblivion, when you see them doing all of these things, participating in all these things, and you can still love them as Jesus loved them. And have compassion on them. Even if they're a Cubs fan, That's who you guys are, that's who you're judging, right? That's who you're judging. I'm just trying to bring the truth here. <laughs> They're wearing the wrong colors. But Jesus died for them. Jesus died for them. Jesus loves them. You gotta wanna share it. God, help us want to share it. No matter who they are, no matter how they present, give us that burning passion, that desire 
to step out of our box, to step out of our comfort zone and let your grace work through us. Help us to do the work. To do the work. Whatever it takes because of your grace. Would you all pray after me and just say, Jesus, my life is yours. Everything I am, every, everything I have, it's yours. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. And I'm never going to change my mind. I'm never going to back down. Save me. Rescue me from my old patterns. Help me to love other people. Give me a burning passion to share your love with other people so that your grace is not without effect. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening today. Now it's time to put your faith into action by applying this word to your life. If you'd like help taking your next steps with Jesus, contact us at revivechicago.church.